Good morning, Livingstone Church. We are so glad that you have gathered with your family or in a small group this morning to worship the Lord together. And while we all wait to see how things unfold over the next weeks and months, this will be our new normal until we are told otherwise. But I want to reassure you, Jesus promised us that he would build his church and that the gates of hell would not prevail against it. Neither will a pandemic or a natural disaster or any type of persecution that we might face. The Church of Jesus Christ has endured much darker times throughout her history, so I want to approach this with some healthy perspective. That being said, this is a new way of doing things for us, and we want to help you be able to worship the Lord in a way that is as consistent with our normal way of doing things as possible. In order to do that, to make that happen, you will need three things. Uh, First is the worship guide, which has been made available. Uh, It's two pages. The first page is the order of worship, and the second page is the scripture passage and a sermon outline. I would encourage you, if you have your own copy of the Bible, uh, obviously to have that available as well. The second thing you will need is the song and uh, prayer, the Lord's Prayer sheets, so For this week, there are four songs and then the Lord's Prayer. So those are also available uh, on on the same file. And then there's the audio file, which uh, you're already listening to if you're hearing my voice right now. So those are the things uh, that you need. And just to let you know, you should only have to pause the recording, the audio recording one time. And that will be uh, during the congregational prayer so that you can pray uh, together as, as your groups that you're meeting with. Uh, but other than that, everything should flow hopefully pretty smoothly. Also, just want to let you know that uh, I would love it if you uh, would give us some feedback. You can feel free to email or call or text me. Let me know how things went for your family or for your small group. Uh, we definitely want to make sure that we are communicating well with all of you during this time. So, in light of that, uh, let's go before our Lord together uh, for our call to worship, and you can feel free to read this along with me. Call to worship is from Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Let us pray. Father, we gather wherever we're at and how many, however many of us are gathered, we gather together to bless your name. We gather in your name. God, we give you thanks and praise that you are with us even as we are gathered, spread out throughout uh, this city and the surrounding communities. We thank you that your promises to us never fail, that you are with us as you have promised to be. Lord, I ask that you would meet with each one of us uh, this morning, each one of these groups, as as we gather together, as we seek your face, as we sing your praises, as we hear your word proclaimed. Father, shine your face upon us and remind us of your goodness to us in this time 
of need. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us continue to worship as we sing, Bless the Lord.
For our confession of sin, I want to remind us that while some things have, may have changed in the way that we are doing things, there is one thing that doesn't change. That is our need to confess our sin, to confess our unbelief, our lack of faith to our Lord. This is a time where we are bombarded with so much information and so many different perspectives about what is going on in the world. This is not a time to point fingers or to blame shift. This is a time for us to ask the Lord to search our hearts, to confess that we are not in control, that we are not the Savior of the world, and that we can't fix what is broken around us. So let us do that together this morning as we read this corporate prayer of confession together. Most merciful Father, you have commanded us to love you and to love our neighbors. But far too often, our love in both of these areas is lacking. We confess that we have a tendency to love you when things go well, but we turn bitter and angry when suffering and hardship comes. We also tend to only love our neighbors who are easy for us to love. We ignore those who we don't consider worthy of our time, and we hate those who we consider our enemies. Help us to remember your love, which continues to be given to us despite the many ways we are undeserving. Even while we were rebels, you set your love upon us and purchased us by the blood of Christ. May our love be more like your love. Amen. Brothers and sisters, the good news of the gospel is that if you have confessed your sins, that we have a Savior who is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. Hear these words of assurance from Romans 5, 6-11. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Let us continue to worship our gracious and merciful God as we sing, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, and All Must Be Well.
Well, we will continue, uh, as always, to have our congregational prayer once a month where we pray for different needs. Uh, in, our, in this prayer, we acknowledge that we live in a broken world, but that we have a God who has entered into this world and meets us in that brokenness. Um, we pray for the world. We pray for our nation. We pray for our city. We pray for other churches. This, this Sunday, we're praying for Resurrection Presbyterian Church, Pastor Bob Holda. Uh, they're also actually praying for us this month. That is a great encouragement. We'll pray for our own church, and then we will be praying for our individual needs, which at that time we'll have you pause uh, the audio and pray in your, with your family or your small groups uh, for your individual needs, and then pray the Lord's Prayer uh, together again, which is on that PDF file. Uh, I will pray these prayers, and then you can all respond together, Lord, in your mercy. Uh, Sorry, I will say, Lord, in your mercy, you respond, hear our prayer. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. We lift up our eyes to the hills. From where does our help come? Our help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let our feet be moved. He who keeps us will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Father, we declare that these promises from Psalm 121 are as true for us in our world today as they were for your people Israel. In a time where there is widespread fear and desperation, may we lift up our eyes to see you, where you remain unmoved, seated upon your throne where you continue to sustain and uphold the world by your mighty and gracious hand. We pray that the fears surrounding the coronavirus would cause many across this world to turn to Jesus in faith and repentance. May the healing that no medicine or doctors can provide be accessed freely by all of those who turn to you. Strengthen and use your church throughout the world to be a bold and compassionate witness to those who are suffering. Remind us that our safety and security in this world are fleeting and that yours is a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Lord, in your mercy. Sovereign Lord, just as this world belongs to you, so does this nation in which we live. It is you who have determined in what time period in history and in which place each of us would be born. There are no accidents in your plan. Father, as we think about our time and place in history, may we rejoice and be glad that you have called us to live where we live, when we live. May we pray humbly and boldly for this nation and its leaders, especially during a time of national emergency. May the politics and party lines that drive wedges between people not be the causes of division in a time when people need to work together. While our hope is not in the peace and security of our nation, we do pray that people would work together for the common good. But most of all, we pray for the unity of your church across this nation. May we seek to work together and clearly testify the good news of the gospel to those in our midst who desperately need to be reconciled to you. Lord, in your mercy. Merciful and gracious Lord, We pray for this city and the surrounding communities. 
We pray for those who are suffering from food shortages, financial difficulties related to job loss, and the many others who have been impacted in unexpected ways. We pray for those in authority to make wise decisions that help those who are most vulnerable. We pray for the churches in Oshkosh to have wisdom about working together during this challenging season in a way that promotes unity and displays the love of Christ to the broken world around us. Lord, in your mercy. We pray for Resurrection Presbyterian Church and Pastor Bob Holda and the elders there. Lord, we praise you for the growing and deepening relationships in their church, for the unity that is centered on your word, and for the opportunities to minister to the needy, including a non-English speaking refugee family from the Congo. Lord, we ask that you would continue to grant them wisdom as they seek to navigate these difficult times as a church, that their desire for growth and discipling of personal and family worship among their members would be strengthened, even as they are not able to gather in person for corporate worship. Lord, in your mercy. Father, we are so grateful that we can call you our Father, that we can come with boldness and confidence before your throne of grace to lift up the requests of our church to you. We ask that you would continue to do the good work that you have begun among us. Continue to unite us in faith, hope, and love, and do not let the fear and uncertainty of our present circumstances Keep us from seeking you together and from continuing to reach out to one another as we seek to encourage and build one another up in the faith. We pray for those in our congregation who are feeling lonely, isolated, and vulnerable at this time. While we know that this recorded service is no substitute for the face-to-face gathering of your people, may you sustain us for however long this season lasts. May these circumstances cause us to press in and grow deeper than we have before. May we not grow weary and trust that you are working all of these things together for our good and your glory. Lord, in your mercy. Take some time now, however much time you need, to pray together as families or small groups. Then pray the Lord's Prayer together. You can pause the audio. And then uh, you can come back and listen to the sermon. Let's pray as we go to God's word. Father, we need you to speak this morning. We need you to speak to all of us as we sit, gathered, waiting expectantly to hear from you. Father, we thank you that the power is in your word. It's not in the way that it's communicated. It's not in when the sermon is recorded. The power is in your word, and we ask that you would meet each person here this morning as they're gathered, listening Encourage our hearts. Remind us of who you are. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 6, verses 27 to 36. If you have the worship guide there, it's on on the second page of the worship guide. The 
the passage is printed there. I have to admit, uh, this is a bit strange for me. I'm standing here in an empty sanctuary on Saturday evening, which I have actually done before many times. I've done this before getting ready for Sunday morning. I've stood here and preached the message to an empty room in in preparation. Uh, When I knew that I would be able to come back the next day and have the privilege of looking out at a bunch of familiar faces and sharing the word of God with them. And it's an empty sanctuary Saturday evening again. But this time, I know that none of you will be here in the morning. And I have to imagine and hope and pray that you are all going to gather together as families or small groups to continue to worship the Lord together even though we can't be together face to face. And I have to wrestle with my own insecurities related to all of that. I have to trust deeply in the same sovereign God that I claim to trust when things are going smoothly in life and in the world around me. And so do you. As you sit at home and find it tempting to just turn on a movie or get distracted by the many other things to do, trust me, I feel it too. But I want to ask us all to commit during this time by the grace of God to not run from the Lord, but rather to run to Him. And to trust that He will be a kind and merciful Father, as we'll see in our passage this morning. That He will gather us to Himself and comfort and encourage us. But on the flip side of that, that we won't hide from Him and not allow Him to expose our hearts, to peel back the layers and expose those places where we are not trusting Him. One thing that we are committed to as a church is faithfully preaching through the scriptures and not just cherry-picking a few verses here and there to just say what we think you need to hear. We want God's word to do the work. We want him to speak, and we trust that wherever we are at in the scriptures in a given season, that his word is the life and truth we need in that season. I'm just going to be honest with you. This is not the easiest passage of Scripture to read. And it's certainly not easy to preach on. Because as I read this week and as I prepared to communicate these things to you, I needed to do some serious heart searching of my own. One commentator says, Few of Jesus' sayings are so deeply heart searching and truly humbling as these verses are. And I don't know about you, but I need that right now. I need God to search me and humble me. To remind me of what is really, truly important. To remind me of who I really am and what my place in this world really is. I think we all need that right now. Individually, as a church, as a nation, and across this entire world. So let us go to God's word together, letting him search us and humble us. Luke six twenty-seven to 36. Jesus said, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, 
offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. This is the word of the Lord. Well, before we dive into this passage, we have to remember the context of where this teaching of Jesus is situated. Luke chapter 6, called, talked about it last week, called it the Sermon on the Plain. It's the shorter version of the Sermon on the Mount that is found in Matthew verses Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And last week we saw that Jesus began the sermon with the Beatitudes. He gave the blessings and the woes, where he flipped everything on its head in terms of the disciples' expectations about what the good life in this world was. And Jesus pointed them to a reversal of the whole system of the world's values, saying that as his followers, we're actually blessed if we don't have our best life now. Even that being hated and ridiculed by the world for his namesake is okay because our reward is great in heaven. Then he gives the opposite side of the coin of all the blessings. And he says, woe to those who have their best life now. And I want to help you see how last week's passage and this week's passage go together. And I think this is a fitting illustration, something that's probably been happening for a lot of us lately and will continue to as we're hunkered down is that we'll be spending a lot more time playing board games. It's always fun to get a new game and go through the process of trying to learn it. Uh, Lindsay and I have been teaching our older kids the game Puerto Rico, which we played several years ago. We played it quite often, but we're kind of getting back into it. And it's a pretty complex game with a lot of pieces and a lot of different things to keep track of. And the blessings and the woes in the previous section are kind of like getting oriented to the layout of a new board game. You have to understand what the overall layout is. You have to understand how to set it up and where all of the pieces go. But that's just the first step, isn't it? That's probably the easy part. The hard part is actually playing the game because there's rules There's things you can and cannot do. And there's consequences, just like in real life. Today's passage is like digging into the rule book of that new game. Now that we're oriented to the new board, now that Jesus has told us what life in this new kingdom looks like, now it's time to understand how we are supposed to play the game. We're supposed to look at the rule book. We're supposed to understand how these things are supposed to play out. 
you're taking notes, the main idea for the message this morning, I'll repeat this for those of you taking notes, it's a little long. But the main idea is that those whose lives have been properly reoriented by faith in Jesus are enabled by the Holy Spirit to be like their Father and live out their new identities as citizens of the kingdom of God. Say that again. Those whose lives have been properly reoriented by faith in Jesus are enabled by the Holy Spirit to be like their Father and live out their new identities as citizens of the kingdom of God. So let's dive into the passage and see what this looks like. The first thing we see is the cost of discipleship is earthly loss. The cost of discipleship is earthly loss, and we see that in verses 27 to 31. Jesus begins this next section of his sermon addressing those who hear. But I say to you who hear, he says. And there are hints here of what he says later in Luke. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And we see that in the other Gospels as well. Usually Jesus says that either before or after a hard saying. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And he certainly starts this off with a hard saying. Love your enemies. And this is not a suggestion. It is a command from Jesus. There are 13 commands in this passage. 11 of them are positive, 2 of them are negative. And 9 of those commands are found in these first 5 verses. And I think Jesus could have just stopped after saying, Love your enemies. And the disciples would have had every objection in the world for how impossible that is. But he didn't stop there. Don't just love them. Do good to those who hate you. And we see in this first set here, as we'll see in the next five sets of these kind of contrasts, we'll see what the response of Jesus' followers should be in the face of these challenging circumstances. This points to the cost of discipleship being earthly loss. Love and do good to those who hate you. That is what Jesus is telling us to do. To love and to do good to those who hate us. Love is the opposite of hate. Lay down our own desires for revenge. Lay down our own desires for getting even. That is what Jesus is calling us to. Next, he says, bless those who curse you. And if you're familiar with much of the Bible at all, you know that the contrast between blessings and curses is a significant theme. Go read Deuteronomy chapter 28. To bless is to ask God to, dis- to bestow divine favor upon someone. And to do that to someone who curses you means that you have to lay down your pride. You have to ask God to bless the very person who cursed you. Next, in a similar vein, Jesus says, pray for those who abuse you. Now this abuse here is most likely speaking of verbal abuse. It's speaking about being slandered or reviled as we saw last week in verse 22 when people 
revile you, when they spurn your name as evil. That's what Jesus is talking about here. This abuse is verbal abuse. So Jesus is saying to pray for those who do such things. And doing that doesn't... And, and praying for people who do these things to us means that we don't get to get revenge with our words. We don't fight slander with slander. And then for these next three sets of sayings, we have to understand Jesus' use of hyperbole and that these things are not meant to be taken literally. These are all shocking statements that are meant to get our attention. It says, To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. In John chapter 18, when one of the high priest's servants struck Jesus, he answered, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Turning the other cheek is not exactly what Jesus did there. right? He asked, why do you strike me? So to turn the other cheek does not excuse physical violence. It doesn't say it's just okay for anyone to walk up and hit anyone at any time. And it also does not rule out self-defense for Christians. The point is that in line with the rest of this passage, that we should not seek out revenge, nor should we seek fair treatment or repayment of all of our wrongs. And that's clear in these next two examples. In the second half of verse 29 and verse 30, and it says, And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. Now, clearly, this does not mean that if someone comes and knocks on my door and asks for my stuff, that I let them back their truck up to my door and take it all. That would be beyond ridiculous. Because I am also commanded by the Lord to provide for and to protect my family. Again, Jesus is speaking in some form of hyperbole here in these things. And I think Joel Green, in his commentary, he sums up this entire section well. He says, Jesus' mode of presentation certifies that his message is not simply one of prescriptive morality, as though he were telling people how they should or should not act. Rather, he is asking people to accept an inversion of the world order, to agree with him that the world order has been inverted, and to act accordingly. Read that again. Jesus is asking people, he's asking his disciples, his followers, to accept an inversion of the world order, to agree with him that the world order has been inverted, and to act accordingly. I think this is a pretty timely analysis in light of the current situation we are facing with the coronavirus. Consider an article published in Politico magazine on Thursday titled, Coronavirus will change the world permanently. Here's how. They list and explain 32 ways that they think this will play out. Now whether or not even half of these things come true, the reality is that the world as we know it might be changed as long as we're alive. But for Christians, this shouldn't be shocking news. The world was already changed forever when Jesus came on the scene. That's the point I'm trying to make here. He is about to flip everything on its head. 
And his impending death, burial, and resurrection will shake the disciples' lives and consequently the world through them in a way that no virus or natural disaster ever could. And brothers and sisters, we sit here today recipients and beneficiaries of a world that got flipped upside down and a new kingdom that got introduced. We have nothing to lose and everything to gain by following Jesus. Can I get an amen from everyone at home? Verse 31, I think, is the key that connects the truth of having nothing to lose and everything to gain. We refer to it as the golden rule. Jesus said, as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Now, this similar principle had been stated negatively by Confucius and Plato and Aristotle and others. Basically, don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. But again, Jesus flips it on its head. And the world around us loves to talk about karma, right? Which can sound similar to what Jesus says here. But what's the problem with all that? It all comes down to self-reliance. And there's no place for self-reliance in the Christian life, my friends. Jesus reminds us over and over, and this passage is meant to draw this truth out ever so clearly. He reminds us that we can't do any of this on our own strength. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit if we are to follow Jesus and be like the Father. And that is what this next section continues to push us toward. Next we see the reward of discipleship is heavenly gain in verses 32 to 34. If the demands in verses 27 to 31 exposed our pride and self-reliance and fear of loss, then Jesus' questions in these next three verses crank up the spotlight even brighter. He repeats two of the commands from the first section, love and do good, and then he adds lend, which corresponds to the giving and the not demanding back in verse 30. And the questions here, which are informed by the golden rule, cut to the heart of the matter. If you love those who love you and do good to those who do good to you and lend to those from whom you expect to receive, then what benefit or what credit, it's the same word, in the Greek for those two, what benefit or credit is that to you? You don't gain anything by living according to the standards of this world, Jesus says. That's what sinners do. And by saying sinners here, he's not saying that the disciples are not sinners or that we are not sinners. He's pointing to those who live in the world, those to whom the woes apply, those who reject God and reject Jesus as king over the kingdom that he has come to announce. There's no benefit to living like the world when we've been called out of the world and been shown a better way. I think these questions expose our self-justifying tendencies. It's easy to read verses 27 to 31, realizing that we don't really do those things, but then trying to insert in there those who love us and do good to us 
and pay us back when we lend to them and think that if we treat those people well, we think that we're doing a pretty good job. But Jesus uses these questions to show us that we've just dug ourselves into a deeper hole with our self-justification. But the good news is that Jesus isn't going to leave us in the hole that we've dug ourselves into. He is going to come and get us. He is going to pull us out, and he's going to show us that it's by his grace and his grace alone that any of this is possible. And in typical Jesus fashion, he's going to do what he always does and point us to the Father. That's what happens here in these final two verses as we see the demand of discipleship is to be like our Father. Verses 35 and 36. Jesus repeats the three commands that he addressed in the previous questions. Love not just those who love you, but your enemies. Do good, not just to those who do good to you, but even to those who hate you. Lend, not just to those who who you know will pay you back. And then there are two promises attached. First, your reward will be great. And this is a future tense. We saw this in verse 23 last week where he said your reward is great in heaven and this reward is not something that we earn this isn't something that gets us into heaven it's the father's pleasure and affirmation when we hear him say well done good and faithful servant something that we ought to all long to hear second promise you will be sons of the most high This is also the future privilege of sonship, of an eternal, intimate relationship with God that is also not earned, but is a result of his favor and grace. And then Jesus explains how these promises are backed up. It's the very character of God. Look at that little word for at the beginning of the last part of verse 35. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. And this little word here, for, can be translated that, since, or because, or other things. It gives the cause or the reason for something. And it's very important here. Jesus says, do these things. Love, do good, lend. And the promises of a heavenly reward and eternal sonship will be yours for or because he, the Most High, is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. This is God's common grace. It's the fact that he doesn't just wipe us all out for our sin. We see this in the parallel passage In Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus talks about loving your enemies, there Matthew tells us, records Jesus saying, For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. That's actually very instructive for us as we think about Jesus' commands throughout this passage. In other words, if the God of the universe who makes the sun rise and causes the rain 
to fall, if he is willing to provide for those who despise him and spurn his name and live in rebellion to him day in and day out, how dare we think that we can withhold love and goodness and kindness to those who treat us poorly? Which leads us to the final exhortation from Jesus, verse 36. To be like our Father in heaven. He says, be merciful even as your Father is merciful. He is kind to those who don't deserve it and merciful to those who don't deserve mercy. And that was each and every one of us when we were dead in our sin, right? Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. When we were dead in our sin, when we were ungrateful and evil, but God, right? We read it in our assurance of pardon earlier in Romans 5, for if while we were enemies, we were the enemies, right? We were the enemies of God. If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. God saved us from sin and death while we were his enemies. And again, how dare we think that we can withhold love or goodness or kindness or mercy to anyone who treats us poorly or anyone who hates us, or anyone who takes our stuff, or anyone who spits in our face. Jesus says, love and do good and lend and be kind and be merciful because that's who your Father is. Church, is this not what the world around us needs to see more than ever right now? And where else can these things be modeled but in the local church? And just because we can't gather in groups for now doesn't mean these things are, not, are to be put on hold. How can we love and do good and lend in a way that shows we belong to our Father and displays His kindness and mercy to the world around us? I urge you, brothers and sisters, do not check out during this crisis. Press on and press in to the Lord now more than ever. Don't flee to other distractions. Don't forsake your relationship with the Lord. And don't check out with each other either. This is a great opportunity for us to practice brotherly and sisterly love and hospitality in a unique way. It might not be face-to-face for a season, but get on the phone with a friend Call a brother or sister. Check up on one another. See how each other are doing. Pray for one another. As I said in my email on Friday, until we meet again face to face, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Father, this is a high calling. The demand of discipleship that Jesus lays before us is not something that we can do on our own strength. It is something that we can do 
as faithful followers of you who are filled with your spirit, who are trusting in your, your son, who are seeking to be merciful even as you are merciful. But God, we need your help. We need your help to, to be like you. We need your help to faithfully represent you to the world around us. And God, we believe that there are going to be many opportunities to do so in the days to come. We ask that you would help us to live out these commands, empowered by your Spirit, not in our own strength, not seeking our own glory, but giving you all the glory and all the praise. God, strengthen us, equip us, encourage our hearts, even as we go about our, the rest of our days here Help us to honor you. Help us to seek you in the things that we do. God, thank you for this time. Thank you that you are with us. Thank you that your promises are true, as true as they've always been. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. We will close the service by singing the doxology together in our groups. That should be printed there. Uh, in your song packet. Um, So this is the end of the audio recording, and you can sing the doxology. Have a great week. Again, feel free to um, email, call, text. Uh, If you need anything, we're praying for you. The Lord be with you. Amen.